sin anymore. I'm still amazed that Jesus would pay a debt I could not afford. I've never got past it. I'm free at last from the sin that made me a slave. I still feel as much as when he
makes me a king to me I've everything all that I need all that I need are treasures unseen Testament, 2 Samuel chapter number 12, with the help of the Lord's where we're going to be at today, continuing on this study of David. I hope it's been a, a blessing thus far. Couldn't help but notice, uh, I, I listened to some WYZD quite a bit, and I think Brother uh, Ricky Cother is going through on a study of David too. He's behind me quite a bit, but uh, anyhow, I got to think studying David right now, but this is where the Lord's directed our heart, and you could really stay in here probably multiple years preaching on the life of David. No way we could give you an exhaustive list, but I sure hope it's been a help and encouragement thus far as we've looked at his life, and he is one of my heroes. Again, if you were to go over to Israel today and you asked what is the greatest king, David's name is going to pop up uh, there, and of course the Lord Jesus Christ came through the lineage of King David and through that genealogy, so the Lord used him mightily, and he did make some mistakes. We looked at that a little bit on Wednesday, but as God gave his basically gave his definition of David, you can look it up in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse number 5, there's only one thing, he said basically, that, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said basically David followed me his whole life, save that one issue with Uriah the Hittite, and that's where, of course, he fell into sin with Bathsheba, but I'm glad that wasn't the end of the story, God did not throw him away, now he did have to deal uh, with his sin, and we're going to look at that this morning. I hope it'll be an encouragement today as you look at this, maybe today and tonight. We're going to look at this passage, but in Second Samuel, chapter number 12, as we pick up reading, at this point, chapter 11 is where that grievous sin has came, and, and uh, basically he is, he is, he's had Uriah killed, he's committed adultery with Uriah's wife, and he's thought he's got everything hid. About a year has elapsed at this particular time. And on God's timetable, I want you to notice in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I'm not going to ask you to stand. Look with me in verse 1. The Bible said, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. Now, Nathan was a prophet, by the way, and he was a tool that God was using, and he sends Nathan. So the Bible said, The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, 
There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had brought, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Verse 5 said, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Now, verse 7, there's a great transition. Notice the first few words in verse 7. And Nathan said to David, four words, Thou art the man. David sure didn't think he was talking about him when he laid out that story and, and that account. But now, pointedly, the man of God points and, and directly right toward David, the king of Israel, he said, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this, this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before son. Now, everybody look at me just a second. If we stopped reading in verse number 12, you'd say, man, boy, that's a boatload. And it was well deserved for David because, brother, how? Because of David's sin, God pronounced judgment. And all that he pronounced came to pass in David's life. But it don't end in verse number 12. Thank God there's a verse number 13. And notice what the Bible said. And David said unto Nathan, I, he didn't say his neighbor, he didn't say anybody else, he said, I personally have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Hey, some of us today that are Baptists that are born again, we should have shouted when we just heard that. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd be back broke in a place called hell if it wasn't for the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we sure do thank you for the good word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the examples, Lord, you gave through the life of David. Lord, I know that it's facts, but Lord, I'm glad there's some applicational points that we can apply to our own heart and life. God, I thank you for that forgiveness that's only found in the free pardon and forgiveness of 
of sin in Jesus. And God, I ask today if there's one amongst us that's never been born again, God, may today be the day of salvation. I pray for that one that may have that secret sin, maybe been hidden for a while. God, I pray that you'd draw them. I pray that you'd convict them. I pray, God, you'd change them and clean them, clear them today. We'll be careful to give you thanks for what you do. Help this feeble preacher now to decrease it. Jesus may be increased and lifted up. Lord, again, I confess publicly that I'm a big fat zero. I'm nothing. Lord, you're everything. Pray that all the will of God be done right now. And we're going to thank you. We're going to praise you for what you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we've read this text here, very familiar passage of David. And, of course, his sin and God has pronounced judgment upon him. Up to this point, we've looked at life's, uh, David's life. And you can break it down in, in basically three ways. And there's other ways you can break it down. But when you think about his, his adolescent years, his adult years, and then his ancient years, we're still in the adult years. But when it comes to his adolescent years, we understand early on that he was watching as a shepherd. And God used him. And God is in the the habit of calling busy and faithful people and that's what he did with David. David not only was watching as a shepherd but he was warring as a soldier. First Samuel 17 he went down into the valley of Elan and he faced a giant that had defied the armies of God for 40 days and 40 nights and nobody had enough God on to go down there and to face the giant but I'm glad a little old teenage boy we believe by the name of David went down there with God on him and God in him and he faced that giant and he came back victorious. He didn't go in his own strength. He went in the name of the Lord. And boy, that's what you and I need today. It's interesting. You study the contrast between David and, and, and Saul. What, what made the difference, preacher? I'll tell you what made the difference. When, when Saul disobeyed the Lord, the Spirit of God came off of him and it went on David. From that point on, listen, Saul struggled and he, he, he pulled and he dug, but he could never push forward because he didn't have a Spirit of God on it. But old David, everywhere he went, Man, God was blessing him. And they'd come back into town and they'd say, Well, Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Because David was not leaning on the arm of his flesh. He was leaning on the power of God. There's the important lesson for every preacher, for every Sunday school teacher, for every singer, for anybody that's ever going to do anything for God. A missionary, we got to have a touch of God on our life. That's what makes all the difference in the world. That's what separates the successful from the unsuccessful is having the Spirit of the Lord on your life. In other words, having the touch of God on your life. It makes all the difference in the world. Well, he was warring as a soldier. And then his adolescent years, he was waiting for the sovereign Lord. The first anointing to the time he became king, he had to wait about 15 years. And, and understand this sometimes, and I've hit this numerous times, but I need this still again today. It may appear, now listen, God is never inactive, but there's times in our lives we may not see him doing something. There may be times in our life where it seems that God is inactive and we'll want to rush ahead of him, friend. I beg you, don't drag behind God. Don't run ahead of him. Stay right where he wants you to be. And David was waiting. God takes his time. Listen now. God takes his time developing leaders. 
15 years. He had to wait so his adolescent years. We could say he's watching as a shepherd, warring as a soldier, and waiting for the sovereign Lord. But then we got into his adult years. His adult years, he spent a vast supply of that running from Saul. Saul has been after him, so he's running along. We see that he's ruling uh, in his adult years. We find him requesting. We looked probably last week, those nine inquiries. He inquired of the Lord nine times. We looked last Sunday night, so he was requesting of the Lord, and then we looked in chapter 11 uh, of 2 Samuel this past Wednesday night, he spent his adult years robbing, well what did he rob? He robbed Uriah of his wife and his life. Now we get to what I call the reviving of his adult that stretched on up through his ancient years. David wasn't lost when he wasn't a lost man when he committed sin with Bathsheba. He was a man after God's own heart. So don't tell me if a man after God's own heart can fall into sin. Don't tell me that I can't. Don't tell me that you can't. Because we can. You get your eyes off the Lord, you'll drift away from the Lord, and it won't be long. You'll be trapped and ensnared by sin. You better stay, you better yoke up with Jesus, and you better stay close to Jesus all the days of your life. There's never a time in your life when you can get in your spiritual hammock and just sit back and eat and say, Well, I got it whipped now. I got it made. You better read your Bible. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12 said, A man that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. David should have been on the battlefield in 2 Samuel 11, but he tarried still at Jerusalem. He got off the battlefield, and that's when sin came into his life. There are several things we can mention tonight. If I could preach on a thought. Now, we're dealing here with his reviving. Thank God David was forgiven of his sin, but how did he get to that point? I I guess we could say this, if I could put a title. It'd be, Thou Art the Man uh, message, I guess. Thou Art the Man. The man moment. I guess you could put it that way. I don't really have a title, but you can, you can think about it that way. Thou art the man moment. You ever had one of those moments in your life? You better have. Thou art the man or thou art the woman. When God confronts us in our sin, it might be at salvation, and then it might be after salvation, but there'll be those moments in your life. And thank God for those times when God cleans us and clears us and makes us available for His service. Now, there are several things. I'll give you about seven of them. When I break these verses down, I'm going to try to move quickly because I really want to land down here at the end on a positive note. But notice, verse number one, there are several things we could say. We could say, first of all, that there was a divine sending. A divine sending. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, there was a message that was sent and a messenger from another world. What are you talking about, preacher? There's divine sending. Look at verse one. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. Now keep in mind, there has about a year elapsed. Brother Harry, there's been a year elapsed from the time David committed sin. He's got it covered up. He thinks everybody don't know anything about it. Just a couple people that we know knows for sure. David, Bathsheba, Joab, they, they pretty much knew sort of the situation that was going on. But the vast majority didn't have a clue, but God did. And God sent, they we see a divine sending of Nathan... Unto David. Now, get this. This will help you because it helps me. God's got a different calendar than what we work on. He's got a different calendar. When you think about that, you'd say, well, man, 
If I knew about that and I was God, I would have judged him. Well, it's a good thing I ain't God, you ain't God, and God is God. He waited a year, but God didn't give up on him. He had a divine sending, and he sent a man of God unto David. There was a message that was prepared from the throne room of heaven, and Nathan was none other than the mouthpiece. Now listen, the, the messenger's not important right here, but the message is. It's sort of like this. You, you think about it, there's, there's many different styles, and, and uh, you take myself and, and Brother Brandon, Brother Evan, Brother Danny, other preachers, all of us, we, we've got a different style. We, we've, every one of us do, but it's not about the style. It's about the substance. It's about the message. And God still calls me and praise the Lord to preach the Word of God. We need more of that today than we ever have. There's a, like a falling away. There's shortages all over the country. Even the Bible Belt of America, they call occasionally to me and say, Hey, you got anybody? Uh, just this past week, you got anybody? Hey, that we were looking for a pastor, looking for a pastor. Look Thank God for a good man of God that will preach to you the word of God. And that's what Nathan was doing unto David. But Nathan didn't go on his own accord. God sent him. I never will forget that Wednesday night. God had a divine sending in my life. It was one of those thou art the man moments, Brother Harold. When that Baptist preacher hopped, I mean a leather lung Baptist preacher, preached a long time, preached to me the Word of God, and that message, it might not have affected anybody else, but it was for me on that day. That was the, my thou art the man moment. It wasn't my neighbor. It wasn't my cousin. It wasn't my friends. It wasn't my family. Friend, it was me, and God sent a dagger deep down in my heart with the preaching of the Word of God, and I came under old-fashioned Holy Ghost conviction. I gave my heart and life to the Lord Jesus the following day because it was just like an old hound dog that gets on a tree, brother Jim, on a tree and, and he's after that coon. He just woo, woo, woo. I'm telling you, I was treed by the Holy Ghost on that Wednesday night and praise the Lord. I gave in on that Thursday and gave my life to Jesus. How that? How is that possible, preacher? There's a lot of factors but there was a divine sending with a message from another world. <laughs> Amen. There's divine sending, but not only was there a divine sending, we understand there was a direct subject. Who was the subject uh, that was designed for the sending? Well, it tells us in verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. There's the divine sending. But notice the direct subject. And he came unto him. Who's that him? That's David. And said unto him, and he goes on into the story, but th there's a direct subject. He came unto him. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. David has sinned. Again, about a year has left. Now, let this bless you right here. Brother Tony, for about a year, David has sinned. He thinks he's got it all covered up. Nobody knows what's going on. Now, let's put it, put it this way. When you get sick or, or you get some kind of issue, man, if you ever get a kidney stone, you're probably going to find, you're going to see, you're going to seek some medical attention. If you have a ruptured disc or something, you're, you're going to be going. If you've got some kind of injury, and uh, listen, they said Malachi, he had a little spill. Which knee is that? Is it that one? Is it this one or this one? Yeah, he got a little spill on his knee. I don't know if he went to the doctor or not, but I bet his mama doctored him up. You go, when you get injured, you go and you seek a physician for medical assistance. Well, think about it in the spiritual world. Nine out of ten times when there's a spiritual sickness going on, we don't do the seeking, 
but the great physician seeks us. <laughs> you say, how you know? Well, Luke 19 and verse number 10 said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When I went to Virginia to that camp, I wasn't looking to get saved, but I'm glad as a God that got a hold to the man of God, got a hold to them singers, and God dialed me in, and he came a-wooing me to Calvary. He came seeking me because he wanted me to be saved. He didn't want me to die lost and go to the devil's hell, and he don't want you to die lost and you sin and go to the devil's hell. And finally, I come to my senses, and I just finally received the Lord Jesus Christ, but I was that direct subject. David was a direct subject that God was dealing with here. Think about this. When Adam and Eve got, when God made everything, he said it was good. But then sin came in when they disobeyed God. They ate of that tree. And then you'll see where they, both of their eyes were open, they were naked. Well, the Bible said in Genesis chapter 3 verse number 8, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden on that day and they hid themselves among the trees. That's just like, that's what David's doing. And that's what we do when sin comes in. We try to hide it. Maybe nobody else could see it, but God can see it. And we fool ourselves trying to hide it that nobody's ever going to find out about it. Because rest assured, Numbers uh, 32 and verse 23 said, Be sure your sin will find you out and all. It might not be today. It might be a year. It might be 10 years. But you better rest assured, Galatians 6, 7, still in the Bible too. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Listen, when you plant that seed, it take, there's an incubation period before that harvest comes in, friend. But rest assured, that harvest will come up with the seeds that we have sown. Whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're evil, or whether they're righteous, they're going to come up one day. Amen. You can't hide it. But you know what? God spoke to them. God came seeking Adam and Eve, they weren't seeking God when sin came, but God was seeking them. And I'm glad there's a God in heaven that loves me enough and loves you enough that he'll seek you where you are. There's a divine sending. He'll send somebody by to tell you what thus saith the Word of God. There'll be a direct subject. You know, there's some services that I believe are just tailor-made for one individual, maybe two individuals, maybe three, maybe four, maybe five. But God may have somebody in mind today for this specific message. This is your divine sending. You are the direct subject. Well, how are you going to respond? I want you to notice here there was a deliberate story that Nathan laid out. Unto David. It was deliberate. It was a deliberate story. Now notice with me, again the last part of verse 1, there were two men in one city. Now, who's those two men? That is a picture of David and Uriah. He goes on to say, the one rich, there's a picture of David, and the other poor, there's a picture of Uriah. He begins to draw out this parallel. The rich man, David, had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man, which is a picture of Uriah, had nothing save one little ewe lamb. Well, who's that little ewe lamb? That's none other than Bathsheba, his wife. That's what the story is laying out. Which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler. I'll talk about that traveler in just a minute. There came a traveler... Under the rich man, that would be David, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb, that's Uriah's wife Bathsheba, and dressed it for the man that was come to him. 
Now, that's a deliberate story, and we'll expound upon that in just a second. The two men represent David and Uriah. I think that's crystal clear. The rich man represents David. The poor man represents, no doubt, Uriah. But who's this traveler? Who's this wayfaring man? I'll tell you to know another who that is. That's that old unholy desire. That old unholy desire. When David was up on top of the house, 2 Samuel chapter 11, when he saw, he couldn't help seeing her the first time, but he, he just sort of lingered. He lingered and he looked and he lusted and he finally said, man, I got to have it. You see, temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted the devil, the Bible said, for 40 days in the wilderness. We know the Lord Jesus Christ was without blemish, was without spot. He was without sin. In order for him to be our perfect sacrifice, to die in place for our sin, he had to be perfect. And he was, but temptation is not sin. But when we yield to that temptation... That's when it becomes sin. And it was a deliberate story to convict David where he was. And listen, brother, how David, had a man after God's own heart, had drifted so far away from God, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. You say, well, now, how do you know that? Well, look what he said in verse number 5. You'll find, I call this the dual standard. David had a dual standard. What? Look at verse 5. Now keep in mind, David's committed this sin, and God has sent a divine sending by Nathan to come down and preach to him. And he's going to confront him in his sin where he is. And thank God for the convicting power of the Word of God, and the convincing power of the Word of God, and the clear message of the Word of God. And that's what he's getting ready to get. But notice David's response. God's trying to get David's attention to acknowledge his sin, and he don't get it. But notice the, the dual standard that, that David had. He hears about this story. Look at verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Now Nathan is talking about David. David don't know that. David said, You know the man that has done this, has taken that lamb? Man, he shall surely die. Look at verse 6. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, David being the king of Israel... He knew the law of God. He knew what the Word of God had told him, and he understood the law. But death was, for, for, for the story that Nathan gave, death was not required. Restoration was required. For the Bible says this in Exodus 22 and verse number 1, If a man steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So David said, yeah, he's going to restore fourfold. That was right. But David basically imposed a death penalty. He said, this man should die. But that ain't what the law of God said. But I want you to think about what David did. David actually should have been put to death. Brother Harold, you say, how you know? Well, think about the adultery that was set up. Think about the murder that was set up. In Leviticus 20 and verse number 10, the Bible said, and the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, that's what David did, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteresses shall surely be put to death. David deserved death for adultery. Well, what about murder? No, he, he wasn't directly responsible for the death of Uriah, but indirectly he put him in the hottest battle. And Uriah carried his own death sentence there to the battlefield, and he was slain, he was murdered. But the Bible said in Leviticus 24 and verse 17, And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. 
So I want you to see the dual standard. Now get this, because we all do this. He had a dual standard. He hears this story, and he said, you know what? This man ought to be put to death. He's going to restore fourfold. Well, according to Exodus 22 and verse number 1, the man should have been put to death. But yeah, he's supposed to restore fourfold. But David was more harsher on another sin than he was on himself. David was quick to, yeah, he did it. But that finger couldn't point back at him. You say, oh, I wouldn't ever do that. Are you kidding me? We all do that mess. Hey, man, we all do it. We have a dual standard. We like to point the finger. You remember this now. I know I've given it to you before, but some of you ain't heard it. When you're pointing at somebody, watch this now. When you're pointing like this, there's three coming right back at you. Hey, man. But you know what? It's a whole lot more pleasant to find faults in others, ain't it? <laughs> than ourselves. But understand, ain't none of us squeaky clean. Amen. You could be, Jesus came before Pilate on three different occasions, couldn't find any fault in because they wouldn't in him. And listen, if you want to find fault, you ain't got to look no further than me, man. I'll be the first to tell you I'm the least among you. I'm a big old nothing, but I serve a big old God, which is everything, a big old Jesus. But listen, friend, you won't have to get a magnifying glass to see that I got false because I do. But I promise you this, we wouldn't have to have a magnifying glass put on you either to find some faults. But it's a whole lot more pleasant to point out the sins of others than ourselves. Amen. And David, a man after God's own heart, had a dual standard. He said, this man ought to die when in reality, David, according to the word of God, because of adultery and because of murder, death should have been required of him. So we see the, the dual standard. But notice the double, I call this the double-edged sword. Watch this now in verse 7. Boy, I'm telling you, I believe you could have heard a pin drop. The Bible said there in verse number 5, David's anger was greatly kindled. So he's mad. And he's saying, boy, this guy's going to die. He's going to storm fourfold. But God stopped him in his tracks. I've been there and done that. Thou art the man. That, well, you know that was a double-edged sword. Cutting both ways. Look at verse 7. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I thee king over Israel. And I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. You see, the Bible lets us know in Hebrews 4 and verse number 12, for the word of God is quick. That word quick means it's alive. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now the joints of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's what the Word of God will do. Now David thought he's got this thing hid. But God loved him enough that he sent Nathan by him and told him that thou art the man. It was a double-edged sword. Don't you know that conviction set in? Don't you know that the convincing of the Word of God settled in on his heart? And thank God he's getting ready to get clean. He's getting ready to get clear. But boy, he had to deal uh, with the confrontational preaching. Our folks don't like confrontational preaching. They, they assume have that Joel Osteen philosophy. Amen. Come as you are, stay as you are, and don't worry about it. Amen. Well, listen, I just believe the Bible. Maybe we ought to preach it like it is. I believe in loving people. 
But listen, confrontational preaching, where it gets right down, where we don't try to cover it up, don't try to pull out a sugar stick, don't water down the Word of God, just get it gun, barrel straight. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what will straighten the individuals out. That's what will straighten the country out. That's what will straighten this world out. If people get back to the Word of God and back to the Bible and not being afraid, if you're going to offend somebody, hey, what about offending Almighty God that sent the very best He had so you and I could be forgiven of our sin. But old Nathan didn't water it down. Nathan didn't pull out that sugar stick and say, well, David, you know, it'll be okay. No, he said, thou art the man. It was a double-edged sword. And boy, I believe, I believe it went silent there for a few minutes. When instantly David was on the spot, he's confronted, he's convicted, he's been convinced. Now, hey, yeah, that is me. But don't you notice what God gave him? Think about what God had given David. Look at verse 7. God had given him a position. Look at verse 7 again. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. God had given David a position. So you see the position? Notice he also gave him protection. And I deliver thee out of the hand of Saul. All those years during his adult life early, when he's running from Saul, what was his source of deliverance? It was the Lord. So God had provided a position he had offered protection, but notice the possessions that God had blessed David with in verse number 8. And I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives, into thy bosom. He has given all these possessions, but he was also given power. I mean, here's the king of Israel. The Bible said there in verse number 8, And gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And God said, And if that had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things. You see, David, as king was supposed to be the protector of Israel, but basically he's become the polluter of Israel. And God's withheld his blessings because of David's sin. You go back to Joshua 7. I said this the other day. Did you know if you harbor and, and, and hold sin in your heart, you'll not only hinder you personally, you can hinder your family. You can even hinder a church family. Because of sin, God, God can't bless because of sin. But I'm glad when people get, get right with God. That's why you have revivals set throughout the year. David's getting ready to experience. He's been confronted in his sin. And he's reminded, yeah, God, you've given me everything I got. You give me all my possessions. You give me position. You gave me protection. You gave me power. And boy, it starts to resonate in his heart and his mind. Now what's he going to do? Well, we're getting ready to find out. We see here the definite sorrow. That lays out, and you can read the judgment that was laid out from verse 9 to verse number 12, and all that did come to pass. Verse number 12, verse number 13, and David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. <laughs> That's the key. That, it is that simple. Listen to me now. You say, preacher, I ain't got much out of this. It is this simple for you getting right with God. I have sinned, not against the preacher. Not against your family, but I have sinned against the Lord. There was a definite sorrow. Hey, you know it's a definite sorrow when well, you understand as you read on verse number 13 that the Lord forgave him of that sin. David wasn't sorry that he got caught. He was sorry that he had sinned against God. And there was a definite sorrow. There's three things that David did when he said, I've sinned against the Lord. He, number one, he acknowledged his sin. He did. He didn't say my neighbor. He didn't say Bathsheba. He said, I, Brother Randy, I 
have sinned against the Lord. You know what? That's what it's going to take for me. It's what it's going to take for you. You get into sin, you're going to have to acknowledge to God that it's your sin. You know what David also did? He acknowledged it was his sin, but he essayed, or in other words, he wouldn't do it. He essayed to make excuses. <laughs> now, there's a lot of times we'll, we'll get into a situation and say, Well, I wouldn't ever do that if such and such hadn't done this, such and such hadn't done that. And we like to pass the buck. You just, it started back there in Genesis chapter number three. I just told you about that when they were naked and they're hiding amongst the trees. And God said, Have you ate of the tree? And, and he talks to Adam, and this is how it goes. Adam said, Well, Lord, and I paraphrase, but this is what it said. Uh, Adam said, Well, you know, Lord, the woman that you gave me, she gave me of the fruit, and I did eat. Then God went after Eve, and Eve said, Well, you know what? The serpent in the wilderness, he beguiled me, and he made me. So you see what happened? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the devil. It's a blame game, but you won't see that right here. It was a definite sorrow. He meant business with God. He acknowledged it was me, oh Lord. He essayed to make excuses, and he accepted full responsibility for his sin. <laughs> we live in this woke society where it's everybody else's fault. Amen. It's even crept into the churches. People want to blame everybody else. Well, listen, we just got to accept it as it is. If you want to have a right standing with God, if you want to go to heaven one day, there's going to have to be a thou art moment in your life when you realize you're a sinner and thank God I'm glad I got lost so I could be found and I could be saved. I could be forgiven of all of my sin. There's going to have to be a thou art the man moment or a thou art the woman moment in your life where you realize, yeah, it ain't nobody else, but Lord, I hear you. You've confronted me. You've convicted me. And now I want to get clean. And if you want to get clean, you've got to acknowledge it's your sin. You've got to say to make excuses. And you need to accept full responsibility of your sin. And now we see the results of that. Definite sorrow. Well, notice this. I call it. I couldn't think of nothing else. I call this last in here, Brother Harold, a, a Harry, a deep splash. A deep splash. Now, it's just DNS the way it is. We say, what are you talking about? Look at verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. There's a definite sorrow. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Why do you call that a deep splash? Well, if you go to Micah chapter 7, verse number 19, in reference to God, he will turn again, he will have compassion, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. There's a deep splash. <laughs> I forget. All of us ought to rejoice. Hey, this ain't a negative message this morning. It ought to be a time for the people of God to rejoice because of that. Thou art the man moment or thou art the woman moment in your life when God confronted you where you were. God sent a man of God by and it was specifically for you. And God, God dialed your number and you gave in and you acknowledged your sin. You essayed to make excuses. You accepted full responsibility. And then there was a deep splash because you had a definite sorrow and repentance in your heart. You said, God, I'm sorry. For my sin. You know what God did? He forgave you. Not a part of your sin, not a sum of your sin, not the big sin or the little sin. Thank God it was all not just covered by the blood of Jesus, but washed away. Now, if that ain't good news, I don't know what is. But there was a thou art the man moment, Sister Savannah's coming. I'd close with this. When you look at the evidence that was stacked against David, David literally didn't have a leg to stand on, he was guilty. Guilty as charged. According to Leviticus 20, 
And Leviticus 24, he was worthy of death. He had a death sentence against him. He's guilty. All the jury has come by and said, yeah, you're guilty. But thank God that's when mercy <laughs> walked in. Mercy walked in on that day and said, the Lord hath put away thy sin. Now listen to me. I don't care what you've done. You say, preacher, I don't know you. That's all right. You ain't missed much. But I'll say this. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what's in your, I don't know what's in your closet. You may have things that are hidden that nobody else knows about, but boy, God does. And listen, David, for a year, he, he just sputtered through life. And he needed some help. He needed a touch from another world. And I don't know what you're dealing with today. But I know this, God may have just, this service may just be for you, may have just been for me. Boy, I got some help out of it. But there's forgiveness. I don't care what you've done. No matter how severe it is, Jesus Christ died specifically for you and for me. And it was enough. There's no other sacrifices that will ever have to be made. He was not just enough. He was more than enough. He wants you to be forgiven of sin. If you're here today and you've never been saved right now, is the thou art the man, thou art the woman moment when God deals with your heart. How are you going to respond? A lot of folks say, well, just not today. Again, a lot of folks say, well, I really ain't done nothing wrong. Well, you got to acknowledge your sin. you got to say to make excuses. Man, you gotta, you got to accept full responsibility. Come to God with that broken and contrite heart. According to Psalm 51, man, God will receive you. David was revived as a result of him getting right with God. I don't know what your need is, but I know this. Jesus will save you today. If you're a child of God and there's sin in your life, boy, God will help you as we stand all over the house. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father... And I love you. I thank you, Lord, for the good word of God. Lord, I've done my very best, Lord, to empty myself of the message of this hour. Lord, help us to glean some things from the life of David. Lord, there's going to be times when we all going to mess up. There's going to be times when we're going to have things hidden in our tent and we're going to put aside. And Lord, I'm glad you'll confront us where we are. Lord, I pray for that one that needs cleansing today. I pray for that one that needs to be saved today, the one that never been born again. God, I pray that you deal with that heart. God, do a work that only you can. Lord, there may be bitterness here. There may be unforgiveness here. There may be anger here. There may be some little pet sin. Maybe things that have been watched on phones and computers and different things maybe nobody knows about, but God, you do. Lord, would you deal with that heart today? Help them to acknowledge. Help them to say to make excuses. And Lord, help them to accept full responsibility. God, we know that you'll meet them with a gracious heart. I pray for forgiveness for all. We'll give you thanks for what you do if we ask these things in Jesus' name. Even heads are bowed and eyes are closed for a few moments. Folks are praying. If I can help you pray, I'd love to. I'm not going to get in your business. But above all, if you're here today and you... Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service. 
And every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, 
If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sins. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here. And may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.